Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, July 5th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, energy providers caution customers about a growing number of scams. Then a dangerous heat wave continues to loom over the state and the Gulf South. Plus, we talk with a trans teen from Mississippi who is leaving the state to continue treatment. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A growing number of scams are asking Mississippians to pay utility bills or face cutoffs. But utility providers say they will never call or mail customers and demand money on the spot. We talk with Public Service Commissioner Brent Bailey about how to know when someone is trying to impersonate local utility providers. It's one of a multitude of type of pathways that scammers and fishers and, and uh, fraud Experts in fraud um, utilize and try to extract information, um, personal property, money from their bank account, etc., from vulnerable customers. And the tactics they use continue to evolve. Uh, These scammers are savvy. They're innovative. And they continue to shift with the times and technologies and try to evade detection any way they can. And we encourage customers to always be aware and be vigilant and question uh, some of these things if it looks too good to be true or just doesn't seem right. And understand the various ways that their utilities may or may not contact them. Um, Some of these things are are certainly too good to be true if if the utility says, hey, we have a um, you've overpaid and we want to return some of your money to you, but give us your bank account so we can put that right back into it. Be very suspicious of things like that, as well as, um, you know, calls that say we're going to disconnect your gas or electrical service unless you pay right now. That's just not how utilities operate. For those who aren't aware, for the elderly, are they mostly targeted for these types of calls? It ranges across people of every background, of every economic status, of every location in the state. We tend to think that the elderly and, and the most vulnerable are targeted, but uh, looking at stats from the most recent utility or, or scam data, young adults, really those age 30 and under, cumulatively were most impacted, um, lost more money to scammers. However, when those in, that we tend, tend to think of, you know, older adults, say 70 and older, while fewer of them lost money, when they did lose money, it was normally a substantial amount. So that just shows the types, you know, young people tend to adopt technology, utilize technology more, um, handheld devices, tablets, um, streaming, online, more things like that. So scammers target those age groups. 
And, of course, through experience or lack of in dealing with these things, they may more quickly fall victim to some of these utility to some of these utility scams. Are you finding that some of these scams are done using emails and text messages? Yes, ma'am, and that's another important point. It's not just random calls, and it's not just uh, phishing email. Text messaging and, and other um, media pathways are being exploited and utilized as well. And so they just say, you owe us money. We need some additional information for your account. Sometimes it happens. You know, it sounds like it could be a very friendly voice on that end, and they really do care about your well-being. When, in fact, all they care about is padding their bank account on, off, based off the hard work that you've put in for yourself and your family. What can you do if you spot or think you're dealing with a suspicious person? You know, don't provide that personal information, type of financial information. Uh, don't wire any money. Don't send gift cards, things like that. Don't be pressured into responding in, in a short time frame and feel like you're being threatened. Hang up, call the utility directly and question them, hey, were y'all trying to reach me on X, Y, and Z issue? Get the facts that way. How do you report it? There are different means of, of reporting scams. If you feel like you've been scammed or if you have been scammed and, and lost money, um, certainly through the Federal Trade Commission, depending on how the scam took place, the Federal Communications Commission. You certainly reach out to Attorney General's Consumer Protection Division here in the state of Mississippi, Better Business Bureau. And, and of course, um, if it feels like it's a local matter, your local law enforcement agency. Never give out any bank information. They could have your address, though. Um, that's kind of scary. You know, whether we know it or not, we as individuals, we're very trusting by nature, and we do put a lot of information out there on the World Wide Web and through social media and other ways. And that can be exploited and utilized and utilized against you. We're all probably guilty of that in one way, shape, or form. We're always searching online or looking for good deals or filling out some type of rebate information, and we trust that whoever is on the receiving end of that is protective of that information. And I think folks generally do a really good job of doing that. But there are hackers out there in the world, and those that go out there and try to steal information and resale it uh, for those that may not have good intentions. You know, we just want to let folks be alert, know who you're dealing with, protect your personal information. If it looks too good to be true, it, it probably is. Um, be alert to the fact that scams exist. Um, they succeed because they look like the real thing. They may catch you off guard, particularly in this situation. Here we are coming out of times just as we've had over the last couple of weeks, uh, day after day of serious storms, outages have piled up. Uh, folks needing response, trees removed, vegetation dealt with, power restoration, things along those lines. And they may figure, oh, here's an opportunity to prey upon folks with their weakest moment and just understand that these actions within the after aftermath of certain storms or, or events where you're vulnerable, um, this is when these scam artists perform. Again, just be aware of the best you can. If it looks too good to be true, hang up the phone. Don't click on that email. Don't answer that text. Don't go to that suspicious-looking website. Take a step back. Take a breath. Call your utility on their customer service line and verify. All right, Commissioner Brent Bailey, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us about this. 
Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Coming up, a dangerous heat wave continues across Mississippi and the Gulf South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Want to keep up with MPB? Go to mpbonline.org, or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MPB Online. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The 4th of July holiday brought sweltering temperatures to the Gulf South as a deadly heat wave settled over the region, but it's been hot anyway. Experts say these extreme weather events are likely to become more common due to climate change. Drew Hawkins of the Gulf States Newsroom reports on how some of the people most vulnerable to the heat are dealing with it. Do you mind um, telling me your name? Uh-uh, we ain't doing that one. It's 10 a.m. on a Friday in New Orleans. The Gulf South is in the midst of an unprecedented heat wave, so even though it's still morning, the heat index, that's that quote-unquote feels-like temperature, is already well into the 90s. I know when about 12 o'clock, it's time, to, it's time to take shelter. That's Marcus talking about the heat there. Marcus is unhoused and didn't give me his full name, but he said it's been unbearable outside the last few days. The heat wave is actually what's known as a heat dome. That's what happens when high pressure traps warm air like a blanket, and this dome stretches out over Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. The heat index has gotten as high as 120 degrees. Health officials say it's not safe to be outside. More than a dozen people have already died across the region. Uh, go somewhere where they got AC, or you can stay cool. You don't need to be walking the streets. You know. The city opened up 24-hour cooling stations for unhoused people, like this rec center where Marcus and about seven or eight other people are taking shelter. Foldable cots are stretched out in what looks like the building's break room. Marcus says a woman living on the streets had a seizure triggered by the heat, and more and more people are using the shelters. Some people do it, you know, you know, as last resort, you know. You can't end up suffering that heat. I had two heat exhaustions, and uh, I'm easy to get it. Sitting on a cot next to him is his partner, Queen. Marcus scoots over and puts his arm around her. She's the one that said they should go to a shelter. Marcus says he's not worried about passing out from the heat again. Man, I got a queen that ain't going to let it happen. If you were out here on your own, it could happen? Oh, yeah. I'm hard-headed. On the other side of the room, Ernesto Castillo is resting on a cot. The 63-year-old has powdered sugar sprinkled across his shirt. He says he's finding all kinds of ways to beat the heat. I had me two pints of ice cream to cool off. Blue Bell, and I had me two little packs of donuts, and I bought me a bottle of Gatorade. Castillo says he heard about the cooling stations on the news, and even though he's lived on the streets for years, he's never had to take shelter from the heat before. Well, we've never had this previous years, you know. I mean, it's in the hundreds today at the International Airport, marking again the second day. The previous heat, we never had like this. Growing up in the South, Castillo says summer was always something he looked forward to, a time of celebration. But each year, it feels like it's getting hotter and hotter. And this is the worst I've ever seen in life. And he's not wrong. Research shows that because of climate change, extreme weather events like heat domes are likely to become more and more common. 
Dr. Kai Kornhuber is a senior scientist at Climate Analytics. It's a nonprofit climate research institute. Federico Otto once coined heat extremes as uh, the silent killers. Kornhuber studies the impacts of extreme weather and climate events, and he says people living in places like the Gulf South are at greater risk, especially if they live or work outside. In particular, this this region has been. Uh, witnessing increasing trends in duration and uh, intensity of, of heat extremes over the past decades. And Kornhuber says that due to current climate trends and a lack of political will, people can expect more extreme weather events in the future. This is essentially um, only the beginning um, in case we're not mitigating um, the emission of greenhouse gases. This is not an anomaly uh, given the the climate trends that we are observing. For people on the ground, people who grew up in the South and live and work outside, like Marcus in the cooling station, they'll tell you the same thing. This isn't an anomaly. I'm, I'm born here. Born and raised here. So. Seeing like every year get hotter and hotter. Do you think this is the hottest year you've ever dealt with? So far. So far. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Drew Hawkins. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Louisiana and Alabama. Coming up, how has the life of trans teens changed since gender-affirming health care for minors was banned in the state? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly financial support. You can become a sustainer, too. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now at the top of the page. The MPB Public Media app just got an update. It's now easier than ever to interact with your favorite MPB local shows and experts. With the brand new Talk To Us feature, you can engage with your favorite MPB local shows anytime, day or night, directly through the app. Simply select Talk To Us from the MPB Public Media app's menu. There, you can leave a question, share show ideas, or simply just say hello. With the new Talk To Us feature, you have access to your favorite MPB local shows and experts anytime you want to talk. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. When Mississippi banned gender-affirming health care for trans teens earlier this year, it cut off any relationships those young people have with their providers. Some have chosen to wait until they turn 18 to resume treatments, but others are having to find alternative ways to present as their gender identity or continue treatments. 17-year-old Ray Walker was one of the dozens who protested House Bill 1125 on the steps of the Capitol during this legislative session. Since the bill became law, he's having to reconsider ways to continue his treatments. His family has determined the best option for Walker, move across the country to continue his care. He speaks with our Kobe Vance about how life has changed in these past few months. Our lives have just been flipped upside down. This started happening for us in November when I was kicked off the team's clinic in Jackson. And it's just, it's been a spiral of different interviews and choices and big decisions ever since then. It's, it's been pretty scary, but, you know, 
we're trying to make our best to get through it. Yeah, it's been chaotic. Yeah, to say the le- the least, and scary. Mm-hmm. You know, just when you think you have a plan. I mean, like we have a plan mm-hmm. for Ray, but you know, UMC said they're closing the team's clinic completely, and that is just so upsetting. I knew when they when they did this when they passed this bill that it was just the beginning of it. Yeah, it, it just feels like this is just the beginning, and it's going to get. Worse. I really wanted to be wrong. Yeah. I I was. I don't think I am though. Well, now it seems like now they're coming for adults. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you just tell me about yourself? Tell me your story. Uh, when did you realize that mm-hmm. you were identifying as a male? And what's life been like? All my life, I've been just a little bit different. I have most of my siblings are my brothers, and I, I've always like shared their clothes, well, stolen their clothes, if you ask my (laughs) oldest brother, but don't listen to him. And, you know, I've always just been one of the guys, and it didn't really hit me until puberty that I was a boy. I wasn't just pretending to be one of the boys that I was a boy. Female puberty was incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable for me, and it just, it made me feel horrible. Miserable. At the age of 12, I came out as a lesbian to my mother, and then about six months later, uh, I came out as a boy. I realized that I was trans. 13 or 14, I started seeing a gender therapist, not through the teens clinic. And I learned a lot with that person, with that therapist. They helped me a lot. I got the diagnosis of gender dysphoria about eight months into gender therapy. Our next step was to socially transition me. So I started going by very casually with my friends and family. And I believe it was my seventh grade year. It was the COVID year. So the spring break that never ended. The plan before COVID was, okay, after the spring break, I'm going to go back to school as Ray. We're going to try it. It might not go well. If it doesn't, we'll figure it out. But when COVID happened, we made the switch to switch me to a different school system entirely. And I think that was a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. I I believe it was, too. I mean, I hate to to say I don't I know that it wouldn't have gone well, but I don't think that it would have gone Mm -hmm. well for those people that have known known you as, you know, your Dead dead name for all those years it's just i've switched schools many times but that i had been at that school for like three years everyone knew me as my old name so i think there would have been some support but i don't think there would have been it enough it just would have been really hard what did it mean to you to be able to medically transition mm-hmm. in the sense that you were taking uh gender affirming hormones it just helped so much i mean i had a lot of body issues after puberty it was it was horrible it's hard to get out of bed sometimes. It was just, it made me depressed. It made me angry at the world. And I mean, he used to say he hated to look at himself in the mirror, you know? As a mom, what was it like and how, how difficult has it been to be there for Ray? It's definitely not been difficult to be there for Ray. Um, it's hard, it was hard to watch Ray be miserable. And I knew that wasn't going to work, you know? Um I should have brought some tissues. Sorry. Um, it just became clear that we had to do something. You know, I mean, from the time that Ray was 18 months old, I mean, from the time he could express an opinion, the opinion was like, I'm wearing boy clothes. And, and before he came out, he had a lot of anxiety. I mean, and I yeah. say, you know, we still have anxiety now, but he would have... He I had, had these horrible facial tics. I, my eyes would blink rapidly, and I had this horrible coughing tick. And he had a thing that he would do with his hands. And it's like when we started 
calling him Ray, and when he could start being Ray, that stuff went away. And it had been going on for years. What's it like since you have fully transitioned? Uh, I know you mentioned previously that you have experienced some luxuries such as being stealth. It's been amazing. I just I feel like I can physically walk taller, which I've always been a short. But I feel like I can, I can just walk around and be proud and just exist. And, you know, part of it is, yes, I'm very comfortable. I love the fact that I'm a, a guy, and part of it is the fact that just women have it harder. So I was always living in a little bit of fear because being a girl in Mississippi leaves you with some stuff. But I just... Once, as soon as I had access to gender reaffirming care, it was like I could finally breathe. What was y'all's reaction in the day that the governor signed this bill into law? In November, we got kicked off the clinic. In February, we went to a protest the day before my 17th birthday to protest the bill. You know, bills like this have come up before, and Jensen, Jensen Matar, who runs the trans program, who I'm, I'm close with, uh, he would always say, don't worry, we're going to shoot it down. They always die. This one didn't die. I felt like I was still in shock from the time we went to that protest to the time, I remember it was a Tuesday at about 1 o'clock and I would gotten a text from my mom that they had signed the bill and that it was law. And I remember just being in a state of shock because, you know, we're in the Deep South. We know we're in Mississippi. We know that. But I always, I always figured, you know what, we're not, we're not Texas. We're not Florida. They're not going to do that to us. I was wrong. Reasoning behind the law that was passed, and this is coming from the lawmakers who wrote it, is that it was to protect youth in Mississippi. Do you think it posed any risk to you to be able to have this gender-affirming care? No. Uh, You have to understand we did so many different hurdles to even get near the teens clinic. I was 13 when I came out. We did a year of me socially transitioning. Like, right before my my 14th birthday, I began to see a gender therapist. There was no medicine involved. I was not being injected with anything. It was was a very common experience. My therapist was very nice. Eight months into that therapy, I got the diagnosis of gender dysphoria. They were not allowed to talk about any medical things without me having that diagnosis. And that was, like, a a a one-and-a-half-year process of me getting that diagnosis. So you can't just... Wake up one day and decide. That's not a thing. <laughs> you have to consistently show, you know, that you are having symptoms of gender dysphoria. Right. And I know that they truly believe they are protecting children, but they're, they haven't, they don't know. <laughs> they're not thinking about all the children. Yeah. And they're, the message that they're sending to children is that it's okay if you're anything, but it's not okay if you're gay. It's not okay if you're gay. It's not okay if you're trans. And that's truly what they're saying. But Ray was literally born this way. I mean, it's not something that he just woke up one day and decided it would be cute if we went through this, you know. (laughs) I've known Ray since the day he was born. This is who he is. Did you want to add anything about what it's like seeing Ray go live with his father? Yeah, it's really sad. You know, he has two little brothers, and it's just really sad. I mean, they, you know, to a degree, the 12-year-old understands, and but, like, the 4-year-old, like, he's not even going to remember. 
some might be asking, with everything going on, why continue with the transition? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well. There's no other option. There's no other option. I can't. I can't not. I, I can't not stop. I can't be. I can't exist any other way. Walker will soon be moving across the country to continue his hormone treatments since it's now banned in Mississippi. The 17-year-old Ray Walker identifies as trans, and that was his mother with him, Katie Reeves. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.